Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and Hey, party people, and welcome. Welcome to Illyria. You've done, done that, that before. before. <laughs> That's what I think every time, though. Really? Anytime anyone says welcome. Welcome to She's me a lot. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I couldn't think of what Illyria was from. For some but, reason, in my head, it was like a sci-fi thing. Like a no. planet. And then I had to remember that I live in the real world. You do. pop culture references. Right. You know what I mean? Not just your sci-fi films. <laughs> so that I clearly watch every minute of every day. Ooh, massage my shoulder. Well, welcome back to Average Ooh. But Owning It. We're glad you're here. We have our lovely guest yet again. A surprise, fan favorite. Surprise. And by that I mean our favorite. She sends us messages mm-hmm. to put her on our episodes. And she we listen. Does. Because we do love her. So, Emerson. She's, she's fine. Let's just give the people what the people want. No, give the people she said, what let's the give the want. people what the people want. And indeed, the people, meaning the three of us, yeah. do want you. So, what is your hot take? Okay, I feel like I know Haley's answer to this, but I don't know Maddie's. So, we'll see. And I might not know Haley's. Okay. If you could go... Out of all the podcasts that you've done so far, like mm-hmm. your true crime podcast, if you could have 20 minutes with any person, now this could be the person who died, this could be the parent, this could be the like last <gasps> person who saw Mara oh. Murray. If you could have 20 minutes with anyone, Ooh. what would, who would Do they you? have to tell me the truth? They're telling you the absolute truth. Like, they, they it's not even like they could lie. They, like, can't lie in this situation. You are okay. seeing and hearing the absolute truth. Oh, I'm stuck between John Bonet and Lacey Peterson, but I think I'm going John Bonet. I knew that would be your answer. I. She definitely remember our episodes. I need a refresher. Um, I think that. Ah, oh, this okay, is tough. Okay, do talk to you then, because I aren't. Well, you just said Lacey. Well, no, but I don't know. Hold on, I'm gonna look yeah, because there you, might you be. Because I also would love to just talk to Ted Bundy for a second. Mm-hmm. And like, not just kind of like pick his brain. Oh, Darlie Routier. That could be a good one. Tupac. Is he dead or alive? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're getting absolute truth. Getting absolute yeah. Truth. Um. Let's see. We go, some I, of these we do know what happens. T- like yeah. Dahlia DiPolito, I'm not even worried about it. Like we clearly know. Really, oh, I no. would love to know about Charlie Brandt, the Victoria's Secret killer. Whoa. I would love. He was the one that took you. His mean, you just want to talk to him? No, yeah, he's the one that killed himself. So no one really knows like how many oh. people he killed, like what went on there. Dominic is for sure my number one answer. Oh, but I do want to know what happened to Mara Murray Emerson. This is the hardest question. Yeah, it's good. I want to say, oh, I definitely want to know John Benet Ramsey and uh, Stacy. Stacy? 
Scott and Lacey? Scott. <laughs> oh. Scott and Lacey. I actually think Scott and Lacey are my number one. Really? Okay. Yeah. And then I want to do, like, wait, we're the Freeman and the Bible Girl. Mm, Was that yeah, a mystery? Yeah. yeah. That one's a mystery. Okay. Those ones. Really? I didn't yeah. know you were that invested with that one. Uh, that one freaks me out because they were friends. They were together. It was like a double thing, right? Yeah. 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 yeah oh, and yeah. there was so many people involved. Mm-hmm. And there That's were true. so many like split tracks that it could have been conspiracy things. Yeah. I also would love to know who's behind the Tylenol murders. Oh, yeah. I guess we're choosing all of them right now, but mine is Scott and Lacey and uh, the Bible Freeman girls. Okay, so not John Bonet. No. Okay, mine's John Bonet, potentially Scott and Lacey, but I also would really like to figure out what happened with Mara Murray. Mm. Can you refresh? Me and maybe somebody listening who can't remember who Mara Murray is. Mara Murray is the one where she was, she mysteriously just like called out of work. Textbook girl. She had her textbooks, she had her textbooks in the car. People thought she was running away. She got all that alcohol. She was just driving. And then one minute she was there. Four minutes later, the police showed up and she was gone. And there were no footprints anywhere. And they lost her scent. And no one ever knew where she went. If she ran away, if she met with foul play, if she died, they never found her remains. It was a very, like, yeah. up and vanished. And a lot of people... And, like, I think the weird one about that one is so many people are split. Like, you'll... F- like, I remember Tori sent me a voice memo after she listened to it and was like, hey, debriefing, I really think that she ran away. Like, I think that was her end game, but I don't think that at all. So it's weird because people are very split on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? What one do you want to know? Uh, we're very in this house. We're very invested with both the John Benet Ramsey case and the Peterson case. Yeah, I'm. Well, I feel like the Peterson case for starters would be like that's like what my gut is saying to go with as far as like who I want to know. Mm-hmm. But also, I listened a couple weekends ago. I was driving back from South Carolina and I like caught up on a few of your guys's episodes because oh I'm behind. She loves us, but I listen to them live a lot, so yes, I have a reason. Sure. But I hadn't heard the episode about the mom who was like stabbed and her kids died darling darling the all the d names yes yes and i would love to know the sock situation oh you're right like was it her did she do it because i really don't think she did but part of me is like she has to be guilty but the other part of me is like, there's no way she had We're enough split time. on that one, actually. I, and I, uh, I get both sides of the coin. Yeah. I can see that she did it because there's no motive for anyone else to do it. I think she did it. You don't. I don't, I'm not necessarily in either camp, you, but I lean towards yeah. now. She yeah. also was so close to dying herself. She was. Like, if she inflicted those wounds mm-hmm. on herself and barely survived slitting her own throat, which is my actual worst. But when they looked into it, it wasn't that deep. No, it was. What they thought was initially a superficial wound was actually very deep and really close to killing her. But people were saying she's clearly not a surgeon or anything. So she didn't know she was that close to dying. She just accidentally was doing it. Because if you're going to do it and then cover it up, you're going to try and inflict some sort of diversion. Oh, yeah, but any kind of diversion, I am too scared to do that. You're already messed up for killing two of your kids. No, I I think Mm -hmm. if you can kill your kids, you can slit your own throat. Maybe. (laughs) No, agreed. But the sock situation. Why would she run the sock down the The street? The sock changes everything. There's kids' blood on the sock. And also, it's not in a well. She didn't go put it in the middle of the street. She put it in a place where if no one's going to see it, then why'd you take the time to do it? And she never mentioned it because she didn't know about it. Mm. 
Like that's the only that's the weird part. Like, like, the the whole thing was outside inside. the day before. It had blood on it. Had, uh, yeah, and stepped on something. It had both of their blood on it. The mom and the kid. No, the both of the boys. It's and, very and far fetched to think that they hurt themselves at a different time. And also, in an alleyway like down the street, they can know the blood was fresh. Like they would have been like, know. "Oh, this is dried blood from weeks ago two days or whatever." Ago. Yeah, I guess. So. I don't know. That one's hard. Yeah. I don't know. There's lots. I don't know. Tell us which one you would really want to know the answer to. I'm interested to see what people's answers are. Because there's a lot that are very, um, I don't know. Okay, I was also just thinking as you were talking, I think I might lean towards finding out Scott and Lacey first. Because I'm thinking no one's on trial right now for John Bonet's. But if you cleared the whole thing with Scott, or cleared him or convicted him, you would actually have an answer to what happened there versus like yeah and it's just the baby like yeah but John Monet was a baby I know but it's the mom and the baby it's you'd be finding out two things yeah yeah okay yeah that's that that's a good question though that was a good one you. you ready for some more murder yeah perfect so this one we're talking about one of the most notorious crimes in America Ooh. we're talking about the Manson family um, whenever I mentioned this to Maddie, she said, eh, I have no idea. So I've heard the Manson family before for sure, but I don't know anything about it. So here's one of my favorite things. So one of my professors, my social work professor, who's my supervisor now, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Dr. A, she, um, tells us a story that in college she, or in her, I don't remember if it was yes. her master's program. You've told this on yes. a podcast before. Oh, I have? Yes. Okay. Well, basically for those of you that haven't listened, um, Dr. A had a pass or, f- or a class that the professor told them that they would either pass or fail, uh, or not fail, I'm sorry. He would immediately pass them from the class if they were able to write a letter to someone who's on death row mm-hmm. or like a, a famous serial killer and they got a response back, they would immediately pass the class. And so she was like, oh, heck yeah. So she wrote to like a bunch of different serial killers and murderers and stuff like that. Ugh, she heard back terrifying. from Charles Manson. And she and Charles Manson had, like, an exchange back and forth. And she has yet to – she told us this right before quarantine started. And so she was like, I'm going to bring it in. I'll bring in a copy of it so you guys can all see it because I want you to see it in person. But then we went quarantine and she hasn't been able to show it to us yet. Yeah. So I haven't seen her in person since this happened. So I need to – wasn't she told us this. So I need to see what the heck's going on. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what it said, but apparently she said the first couple of letters were, like, kind of – um, not normal. They were obviously, he's a very sick man. So it was like as normal as they could be. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, someone that you just met, but aggressively, he started sending more and more, um, not aggressively, more progressively. He started sending more and more aggressive, yes. um, letters that were like starting to freak her out. So she had to stop messaging him and he was calling her like a dumb bitch and stuff like that. And she was like, they were letters, right? Yes. Letters. Okay. Um, Okay, so if you watch any videos of him, which I highly recommend watching videos of Charles Manson, because I'm not going to lie, they're so funny. They're so funny. Why? Why? Are because they funny? he's so sick. Like, like not sick. Like, like, like I old mean, and dying and decrepit. He's like creepy. no, he's creepy, but also like it's very obvious that he is like super mentally ill. He is. He reminds me of working on the dementia unit. Whenever I worked in the dementia unit in high school, Ew. like he says all this stuff. He's a maniac. Like nothing he says makes any sense. He just like talks in complete circles and he's like a really big phenomenon. Like he's the first ever cult that happened in America that people were like, what the hell is going on? Like this is the first time anything like this had happened. So um, he is, um, and something to note too, if you do watch a video of him and I'll probably post a clip of him, but um 
the one that, the, ver- the version of the guy that he was right before he died a couple years ago um he is not the same guy that was in the late 60s that like transfixed all of these young women and created this monster he was like super charming your average cult leader yeah <laughs> your average cult leader you know um okay so backtracking because most people know the name charles manson in general do you know anything about him uh i feel like once you start talking about it i'll recall a little bit more okay. but right now no <laughs> okay um <laughs> Starts in 1934. Charlie is born. His mother is 15 whenever she gets pregnant with him and his father is absent. Now, he describes himself as an interview as, and I quote, a street child, a runaway little girl. (laughs) Like, this is the kind of stuff that he says. Some of the stuff I'm going to quote him on is hilarious. It just doesn't make any sense. So, his mom is sent to prison for armed robbery when he's super young and he just refers to her as a liar. He doesn't care about her. Like, she was apparently the worst. Um, There is a haunting foreshadow in grade school for Charlie because he was a kid and he's on the playground and he got all of these girls in his class to beat up a boy and attack him like a random kid on the playground that he didn't like very much. Then the girls get in trouble and they say, well, Charlie told us to. And so people say like the teachers get involved and they're like, Charlie, why did you tell all these girls to beat up this boy? And he said, it wasn't me. They were doing what they wanted to do, (laughs) which ends up being, the exact story that happens later. Done, 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 done. Charlie is sent to Boys Town, which is like a rehab center, basically. When he's 13, after an armed robbery and car theft charge puts him there, and he's like basically an orphan because his mom doesn't, he's like in and out of foster homes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the kid has it rough. Like, it's clearly yeah. a bad situation. Um, so he lasts four days in Boys Town when he and another kid steal a car, and they get all the way to Utah before they're captured. Uh, so in 1944, he goes to juvenile prison until 1954. So he's basically raised in juvenile wow. hall. Yeah. Um, but in prison is where he hears the Beatles for the first time. It's kind of like the coming of the Beatles. He listens to, uh, De- what is it? Dale Carnegie? Sure. His name? I think. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That, yeah. That oh. book. He listens to that. Um, he learns from Scientologists That's about how to influence name. people. Okay, but here's the thing. In Pittsburgh, we all said Carnegie. and it's Carnegie. Everyone else says Carnegie. But from, like, Carnegie is, like, in is in Pittsburgh. Like, it's from Pittsburgh. So I don't know which one's right, but everyone in Pittsburgh says <laughs> Carnegie. For sure, Carnegie. I don't know if that's accurate. It is. I'm with Maddie. But there's, like, a city in, in Pittsburgh that's Carnegie. Carnegie Hall. <laughs> it's Carnegie, it's Carnegie like for sure. No. Have uh, you seen the movie August Rush? <laughs> we'll no. put a poll up. Carnegie? <laughs> I'm telling you, anybody from Pittsburgh is going to say Carnegie. Okay, we'll see. Well, I actually talked about this in high school. My friend Monica, I still remember it because we argued about it. Because she was like, I know what we learned, like where we live, but everyone else says Carnegie. And I was like, I just don't think that's accurate. Like, I know everyone else thinks that, but everyone from Pittsburgh, where it's from, no, I, no. There's got to be an interview somewhere where he says his name and is we'll Carne- see. Is Carnegie? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. Um, they, now I lost my place because you're going to argue with me about stupid shit. Okay. <laughs> don't be mad. I am. Okay. He uses his time in prison as a time to thrive as a criminal after his release and not get put back in there. So Manson learns that he isn't going to be paroled and... Oh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. He learns that he is going to be paroled. Mm-hmm. And he warns them right before he leaves. He has, like, a moment of clarity. And he says, I'm not ready. I can't go out there. Like, I'm going to go out there and be a, 
like I'm going to go out there and make poor decisions basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't listen to him because they said the jails were overcrowded. So they just send him out to the world. Um, and so one of the documentaries that I watched, they were saying to understand why Manson did what he did. We have to understand the context of the time and place in which he did it. The time in history of great unrest, there's riots, there's the Vietnam war. It's the free love, free sex movement. It's the summer of love in San Francisco, which mm-hmm. is where he gets released to. Um, Apparently, there's a general air at the time of we're going to change the world. And Charles Manson is fresh out of prison, not unlike the rest of everyone else. He is uh, really magnetic. And so is California. Everybody's going out to California at this point to, like, find themselves. It's, like, the big thing. They say that sexual prowess is his main way of getting young women to come near him. It's super common around this time for bands of people to get together, sell their belongings, and get in a bus. Right. And, like... All these middle class people are like, you know what? Let's go find out what life is really about. We'll do acid in a bus. Like, that's what's going on. Oh, Honestly. That was such a weird time. In another life. In history. <laughs> I'd be doing acid in a bus. Oh, God. A repurposed school bus. <laughs> Tell me you can't see me doing that. I can't. You can't? No. Really? Because I'm too high maintenance. In that, and you would just be scared. You're right. Oh, <laughs> maybe I think I'm cooler in my head. <laughs> Emerson is, is gesturing smoking weed. <laughs> um, I'll cut that for you. No, oh, smoking a cig. Okay, I could do that too. Um, one of the women that we'll come back to in a second. Um, she says uh, basically her way of describing that time was I was an empty person that was filled with Manson rhetoric. Um, he is taking middle class girls from San Francisco who've left their families for this movement and he's conning them into following him with offering all the sex and drugs that they could ever want he said San Francisco is that what I said? San Francisco (laughs) San Francisco like I just have an accent but only when I say San Francisco (laughs) Um, they decide that they're going to move the party from San Francisco to LA Um, which is a weird why do I have it like this? Okay. Anyways, this is that we're going to come back to that in a second. Cause I have this all over the place. Apparently um, they move into what's an abandoned movie studio. That's just like, it's like this cool looking like Western place that no one goes to anymore. So they like kind of make it livable, but it's also kind of a hot mess and they don't care because they're on so much LSD. Why does it matter? Right. So um, it's like an isolated area outside of LA. Um, Apparently, these are some of the rules of once the, the people that are involved. There's about 25 of them at the point that they move. Um, they weren't allowed to talk about their past at all. You couldn't have watches because the goal was that time is supposed to disappear. You're supposed to be on another playing field. And apparently Manson described it as like, you need time to disappear because man created time. What happened and there was a world where time wasn't created. Time just passes and it doesn't matter. Mm. It was supposed to be very like this very like hippie movement. Right. They give up their birthdays. What? There's never any context as to why they did this. He just convinced why? them that they didn't need them. I don't because know. it was indulging in self-pleasure? I mean, I don't really know. Because everything else revolved around self-pleasure in that time. So I it guess. doesn't make sense. Not to celebrate? You would think that that I think it was like... because that was something that would be about them. And he needed it to be about him. Oh. It needed to be communal. Okay. Um, okay, so... Backing up because this is where I got lost. 1967 is when Manson recruits his first member who's Mary Bruner. She's a librarian. I guess she's just bored with her life. And he was like, okay, let's do this. Uh, Then he takes Lynette from. um, And that's whenever he realizes that he is great with young, impressionable girls. And he's, like, convincing them that they're going to be his girlfriend. And then he just, like, slowly introduces more girls into the picture. Of, like, and these are all my other girlfriends. 
and we're all a family and we're all going to have sex. And they're all eventually like, okay. But that's the era where like everything is sex positive. Orgies yes. are like the thing. A thing. Yes. And at this point, we'll kind of get into his mind control stuff that he did with them. Where like he's providing yeah. them LSD and convincing them while they're on LSD that this is cool. And they think now they're associating it with this like open-minded yeah like oh my gosh i had this moment whenever i was on lsd and i realized i can have sex with you and him and her and it's gonna be cool and then afterwards once they're sober they don't they're like oh no whenever i was on lsd there i had this crazy revelation that this was cool mm -hmm. like it's this weird whatever we're gonna get into that in a second but um in 1968 is whenever he moves the 25 of them to the abandoned movie set <laughs> um yeah and whatever so Apparently, they also believe at this point that he can bring life into dead birds. He can <laughs> change so the weather. Hey, listen. I can resuscitate lizards. <laughs> well, I think he, it's birds. <laughs> no, I know, but we're oh. in Florida. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we have birds, too, though. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying, like, you walk outside and, what, I can put air back into seven I'm lizards? assuming that what happened How does is, he pull that off? Well, I think they were all high. They're all tripping, and he's not. And he's, like, taking a, like, a dead bird, and then he, like, manages to get a live bird. And he's like, look, this dead bird is now alive, but it's just two or different birds. Or he's just holding a live bird really tight. <laughs> and he's like, look, it's dead. I'm going to make it alive. And then he and just, just unscrews it a little and flies away. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's actually pretty smart. Thank you. Have you done this before? With lizards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that same thing with lizards. It works. It's awesome. I led a whole cult with that bullshit. Okay. Um, he constantly asks them if he if they would die for him. Um, and he starts to become more paranoid. He's going on all these fanatical rants about how he hates society. Um, and he ends oh, and he draws all these connections whenever they're really high on LSD, he would act out the crucifixion mm -hmm. because he was saying <laughs> like man, son, son of man. I, uh, he would convince them I'm the Messiah, the son of man, and he would act out the crucifixion, and it would be, like, this really vivid experience for them all, and it was, like, super visceral, and they were all thinking, like, he is the real deal. Oh, Isn't that gosh. terrifying? Um, and what he would do with LSD is he would give it to himself in smaller doses so that he could still have control, or he would just pretend to take it. And then he would give it to everybody else in, like, copious amounts, so they're all tripping. Right. And he's, like, chilling. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyways... Squeaky Fron is one of the women who comes to I'm sorry, live what? with them. Her name is Squeaky. It's they her she's only known as Squeaky Fron. I her I biological think it's name. Squeaky Frog. <laughs> but it might be worse that it's Squeaky Fawn. Fron. Fro okay. Fron, like Fron. <laughs> squeaky Fron. Frog and Squeaky <laughs> Fawn. <laughs> he changed all their names. They were all something frog. <laughs> squeaky Frog. Um, he now here's the thing. He found her one day. She was weeping on the side of the road. He introduces himself as the gardener because he tends to all the little flowers that are wilting. He invites her to come live with him and his other free love friends. And so she does. She um, thinks that it's fate, that he is an angel that stepped in to save her. She is known as the greatest true believer of them all. She's one of the ones that still believes everything. She's a lot. Everyone else has, yeah, everyone else has come to the conclusion that this is all BS. Squeaky Fron also did at one point try to assassinate, before Manson had tried to assassinate Gerald Ford. What? <laughs> yeah. Squeaky. Squeaky. <laughs> For real squeaky. That is like I too can't much. I believe that. <laughs> I can't believe she would do something like that. Oh, girl named Squeaky. 
That's embarrassing if he would have died. He was like, killed by the, a woman named Squeaky. The illusion that she's the most innocent human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but she looks innocent, too. And if you listen, there's all these tapes from her. Squeaky fawn. And she's like, sweet. And she's a killer. And she was, no, she's not a killer. She's actually. trying to be. She, uh, she tried to assassinate no, someone. Well, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, anyways. Um, so that's that. Squeaky girl. Squeaky girl. What you doing? Um, okay, so he would initiate men into the cult by having, like, offering them these young, beautiful women to have sex with. Creepy. Um, apparently the women say, if a man wanted you, you couldn't resist. And it wasn't, like, a spoken thing, but it was just, like, you don't. Like, we all just have sex with whoever, and it would be weird if you did it. Yeah, consent. Like, wh- what does that even matter? What? Who cares? You know what I mean? What the hell? Oh, that's terrible. And I'm saying what the hell to that being a mindset, not what the hell to consent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other role of the women is to troll for famous musicians. Um, Basically, the pretty girls were used to recruit. And the ugly girls? Um, The ugly girls have other purposes, which we'll get to. At the end of the day, Manson's goal is to be a musician, which we're going to get back to in a second. Um, Okay, so Squeaky is known as the den mother, the maternal figure. She She's like the warm figure that, like, keeps everyone around. Patricia Krenwinkel. What? I know, I know. But Patricia Krenwinkel's story is sad because she's real ugly. And Aww. so, and apparently he, like, recruited her by, like, forming this relationship with her that was very much like they were dating. And he had said to her, like, I'm ugly, you're ugly. No one else is going to love us, so we have to be together. What is the Leah and Rachel who's ugly? You know, in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Which one's ugly? Leah? I think Leah's ugly. Rachel's pretty. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Um, yeah, that's just She's the ugly one. Do you remember, Emerson? No, but when you said that, all I could think was, I thought you were talking about Brittany and the other one, the conjoined twins. <laughs> oh, my no, God. No, we're not talking about I thought you were going to name twins. someone that you thought was ugly, and I was going to be like, Emerson, don't say that right now. Did you know, though, that the conjoined twins <laughs> are on TikTok? What? <laughs> they were on my four page. I almost said four page you. <laughs> they were on my for you page the other day. Wait. Are they still connected? No. They were on like Oprah and Dr. Phil. Yeah, but are they separated? No, they're they're still connected. And I I believe (laughs) they're not. Yes, they are. She saw them. (laughs) (laughs) No. Brittany and what are their names? Conjoined twins. I'm going to find it. Guys, not right now. We're talking about the Manson. At one point, they were connected. And I believe. Obviously. I believe they were married to two separate men. Do they sleep in a bed of four? I don't. Well, how do you have said they never consummated that marriage? No, they did. You close your they eyes. They talked about it. There's an article. I'm gonna find. Put in it. headphones. This could be an episode. <laughs> My episode. Okay. <laughs> we ask Emerson all the time if she wants to do an episode, what she's gonna do it on, and every time she says, "Wiz Khalifa." <laughs> I love him. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, Pat is known as the dedicated soldier. She's the one that if people try to leave, she convinces them. What do you want to read? Leah's ugly. Okay, there we go. So that Pat is essentially Leah. Um, Susan, who we're gonna come back to in a minute. Don't show me the twins right now. <laughs> Susan was the personal assistant. She was the yes man. She was the one who did anything that Charles wanted. So mm-hmm. Charlie would be like, "Hey, go get me a bottle of water and a stay over." And she'd be like, "Yep, doing it. Got it." 
Yeah. Like, whatever he wanted. Tex Watson is one of the few males, and he's the one who's giving the girls murder lessons for months, telling them that there's going to be this war, and they have to be prepared to kill people in the name of Manson's family so that they can all stay together. The three most known killers um, are all girls from suburbia, which is why I think people are so fascinated with them. Leslie mm. is um, one of the most she's, – she's gorgeous. She was homecoming queen of her high school. Um, she is beautiful. She's from an upstanding family. And she had just had enough after her parents got divorced. What, me burping right there? I'm like, I'm drinking sparkling water and everything is going to shit. Okay. <laughs> You're like, she... <laughs> You're like, she won a homecoming queen. <laughs> and then I just burp. I can't do Fart? It's your burp. No, it's not. It's different. It smells. It smells. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> yes, it was. You were like, yeah. she won homecoming queen. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't breathe. <laughs> oh, God, this ginger peach sparkling water is good. Mm. <laughs> oh, my God. But I'm just well, I... take another. Yeah, why would I drink more? Okay. Patricia Krenwinkel is the most has the most average life ever. Her dad calls her a darn good kid in an interview, which just made me really sad. Um, she's both, a murderer. Yeah, okay. Why did it make you sad? Because it's just she was a darn good kid. I don't want to raise a darn good kid and then them kill people. Well, you don't really know your kid that well. You, you think they're darn good and they're murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, both girls had divorced parents by the time that they're in their teens. They both were trying to find their place in the world and found the solution in alcohol and drugs. Patricia says that it started for her about 15. What? Now you guys are just laughing at me. <laughs> It's laughing. Yeah, you are. You're giggling. Susan Atkins was rebellious. She's the one that dropped out of high school and worked as a topless dancer. Her lifestyle was <laughs> picturesque. <laughs> I don't get it. Why did you have to laugh after topless dancer? Because <laughs> Emerson laughed. Wait. Ooh. Topless dancers do wear bottoms, though. <laughs> Like, yeah. if they don't they just be a stripper? I don't know what she's wearing on the bottom. Define, define stripper and topless dancer and I'm assuming dancer. the difference. Define the differences. Okay, here we ready, people. We've gathered ourselves. We've gathered ourselves. We've, okay. Yeah, we're good. Um, let's go back to the topless dancer, Susan Atkin, shall we? Her mother <laughs> oh. died of cancer, you assholes. When she was a teenager. And How were we was, supposed to know that? Well, I don't know, but if you would have just not been judgmental. I wasn't judging the toplessness of the dancing. You always do. All you do is talk crap on topless dancers. All, all day long. Whatever. Okay. She's very close with her mom whenever she died. And she, like, went nuts afterwards and, like, was having an existential crisis. Which is why she ends up where she is. So, during the Summer of Love, they go to San Francisco where they meet Charles Manson, who at that point is is 72. <laughs> um also, background, Lynette, who is Lynette Fromm, the one that I had just mentioned a second ago, she was um, voted Personality Plus in high school. Um, but by the end of her senior year, she's dangerously truant, and she started self-harming. Most people think that her father was really abusive towards her, um, and he stopped talking to her for three years while they lived together, and she never knew why. Oh. Isn't that sad? Yeah. He just, like, decided to stop talking to her. So, she ends up going out there after... Um, high school mm -hmm. and all is happening so 
that's a little bit of background on the people. This is what's happening at the time. Manton wants to be the next Bob Dylan. It's like his goal. He His dream is that he's going to be bigger than the Beatles. He would send the women out to musicians' houses to make connections. Because at this point, like you, it's like free information that famous people and celebrities, um, like you can get their addresses and their phone numbers and stuff. And so he would just send them out. One day, two of the women are hitchhiking. And they run into Dennis Wilson, who's the drummer of the Beach Boys. Ooh. Crazy. So Dennis Wilson is arguably the hottest one. I'm not going to lie to you. He's a good-looking man. He picks them up. He takes them back to his house. They're hanging out. And then he has to go off to the studio for a bit. And he says, like, hey, you can just stay. No. Oh. Um, Maddie just made a killing gesture towards me, if you're listening. Um, he comes back. What are you doing? Keep going. Okay. You're just freaking me out. Um, comes back and he finds that the entire Manson family has invited themselves over to his house, his like Hollywood mansion. Hmm. Um, and then this became their spot. They would sit around the pool topless and smoke weed all day. Dennis is into this because the girls are beautiful. He could be provided with drugs all the time and they're cool and he doesn't have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. The other Beach Boys know that, that this is weird though. They're yeah. like thinking that Dennis is getting involved in some pretty weird stuff. Um, but Wilson obviously doesn't think that at all. He thinks it's cool. And the Beach Boys are like, are you in some weird group sex thing? And he's like, yeah, man, but it's cool. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, so the thing is, is that Dennis is apparently the low man on the totem pole of the Beach Boys. He's really insecure. And Manson kind of picks up on that and starts Mm -hmm. to, like, latch on and tell him how great he is. Charlie ends up writing a song that he calls Cease to Exist. And he takes it to the Beach Boys. Um... Uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Dennis takes it to the Beach Boys afterwards because Charlie shows it to him. And he doesn't end up saying that it was that Charlie wrote it. He just, like, says, hey, here's this new song. It's called Cease to Exist. Well, they end up liking it, and they tweak it a little bit, and they call it Never Learn Not to Love, which is a Beach Boys song. Mm-hmm. So they record it. Dennis presents it as his, and they perform it on the Mike Douglas show. Wow. And they never give Charlie any credit for it. Oh, he's pissed. Mm-hmm. Manson's furious. He goes looking for Wilson, and he can't find him, so he leaves a bullet on his doorstep. Oh. Wilson is terrified of Charlie, uh, but Charlie has to let it go because he needs Terry Melcher, the best friend of Dennis Wilson, um, who's the son of Doris Day, and he's, like, the big guy in the industry that gets people record deals. And mm-hmm. he needs him, so he can't, like, pull any weird stuff with um, yeah. Dennis. So he um, – Ends up pursuing Melcher for months. Melcher eventually agrees to record him at one point after he has already been after him for a while. And you can, like, listen to some of Anson's recordings, like his songs. They're Ooh. not, like, bad for the day. They sound, like, very average, though. He wasn't anything exceptional. Um, Manson tells his family later that Melcher had promised him a record deal. And by his family, I mean, like, the cult family, not his actual family. But Melcher decides a couple weeks later to back out um, because he just doesn't think that Manson's that good. And mm-hmm. so he kind of just, like, backpedals on everything he said. So Manson is thinking that he lied to him. Now, no one really knows exactly if Melcher actually promised him that or mm-hmm. if he kind of was like, yeah, it's not too bad. Anyways, dude, like, I'll get back to you. And then just, like, didn't. Yeah. Like, they don't really know what happened there. So he's furious. This is the pivotal moment upon which everything else turns. Is like Ooh, his fury at this guy. Da, da, da. He lives at this house that's on the top of Cielo Drive, 
Um, sure. Which is like this, it's like a really gorgeous, like almost secluded area, but it's like this nice, oh, it's really pretty. You can like look up pictures and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's like really nice. I trust you. Just look it up because <laughs> I know you don't trust me. Um, This ends up being the house that represents all of Manson's scorn and anger towards Hollywood. And even after Terry moves out and a new owner moves in, He's still furious of, like, what this house represents to him. So the person that moves in is Sharon Tate. She is a glamorous movie star. She, I wrote, she looks like Botox before Botox is a thing. She looks like she's had so much work done, but she hasn't. Weird. Yes, she's beautiful. Um, She's married to Roman Polanski, who's a filmmaker. He's the one who, one of his most famous works was Rosemary's Baby. Have you ever heard of that movie? Uh, Yeah, actually. Yeah, it's like a scary movie. It's, like, about, like, Satan, basically, and, like, a pregnant woman. It's like a pregnant woman being, I think she's pregnant with the Antichrist or something. Oh. It's like a very scary movie. It was super popular at the time. I've never seen that, but I think I've heard of it's it. Like a, it's like a classic, kind of. Rosemary's Baby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I for sure have heard of that. Um, So they decide to buy that house because it's safe and it's serene. And she's like the up and coming. She's like a pretty famous at this point, but she like wants to get into more serious roles, but she gets pregnant and all motherhood. After is like, that, she gets actually pregnant. That she wasn't in the movie. Fight. Roman Polanski is but her it's husband. About her. He's the filmmaker. No, it's not oh. her. Um, and so she finds out that she's pregnant and this is her dream home to like raise this baby in. So right after they move into the house, her husband Roman is away filming a movie. And so she and her friends, or I'm sorry, her friends come to stay with her, Abigail Folger, and then her boyfriend, who I have written on here is like four different names because I'm an idiot. So we're just going to call him the boyfriend. I don't know. Yeah. And then her one-time boyfriend, J.C. Bring, who is the creator of men's hair design. I don't know. Okay. Um, those are all the people that are staying there. So there's four people. Mm-hmm. Abigail Folger is the heir to the uh, Folger Coffee Fortune. I was just going to ask mm-hmm. that. Any relation to Folger? But Coffee? she works as a social worker. And she's really shy. She's kind of like a recluse. She's a big reader. And she meets Sharon, who's bubbly and fun, and connects her to all of these people. They're, like, good friends. Mm. So they go out that evening to get food. They get back to the house at 10 p.m. And around that time, Abigail's mother talks to her daughter on the phone. That, of course, is the night that Charles Manson has sent out orders for his crew to kill everyone in that home because it represents all of his failed dreams. And he knows that Terry Milcher doesn't live there anymore. Yikes. But he he, like, this is symbolic for him. Yeah. Tex Watson is the follower who's basically the troop leader. So they encounter a young man on their drive there who is selling a clock radio door to door. And in the documentary I watched, they call him just the unluckiest man in L.A. Oh. Just, it was just not. They kill him? Yes. Just because he was there. He is um, approached by a car as he's walking away from the Tate Polanski property on August 8th, 1968. So that's the scene there, which we're going to pause, come back. So... Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Linda Kasabian are the ones chosen for this particular murder. So Charlie wakes Patricia up and says, wake up. I want you to go somewhere. And then he says, do everything that Tex says. He had told Tex, you know the house. Go kill everyone there. He knows Terry doesn't live there, but the house on the hill represents his dream being slashed by all these rich, famous people who don't care about anyone, Mm -hmm. so to speak. He tells Susan Atkins to leave something behind, something witchy. Mm. to let people know that they were there, um, which comes back. So Linda was the getaway driver. They drive up to the front gate. Tex climbs over the fence, cuts the wire. Right then is whenever the boy comes out with a clock radio, and he yells out, please don't kill me. 
Like, I won't tell anyone. Like, I'll, like please just, just let, let me go, go and I won't say anything. Watson shoots him four times at point blank range. Oh, my God. And apparently they weren't, like, thinking of anything about, like, oh, just let this one kid go because they were told. Kill like, everyone They're thinking the there. Messiah told them, kill everyone that's there. Oh. You have to kill everyone that's there. So. Um, and keep in mind, not that this is an excuse, obviously, but Tex Watson is just is on speed. Like, he's like, everything is like happening all at once. And he's like completely on drugs and just completely blitzed out of his mind. So they end up cutting through a screen window to get inside the house. Tex announces that he's there with, with all of the people there who are all awake still. They're like all up talking. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. We're going to kill you. Patricia is in an interview saying that she knew that it was madness, but it was almost as if it were too late. Now that they were already there, they just had to do what needed to be done. J.C. Brain gets into a scuffle with Tex at this point because he's going to, like, defend Sharon. Watson stabs and shoots him in front of the other three first. Oh, my gosh. So they try to tie everyone up. Abigail Folger decides at that point that she's going to make a run for it. So she manages to get undone, and she starts running through the yard. This is when Patricia Krenwinkel runs after her and she's in a, like a jail um, documentary. Like she's talking in this and like admitting, cause Patricia's like, obviously doesn't, she's like, right. I want to say like quote unquote rehabilitated now where she's like realizes how crazy all of this was. Um, and apparently she just managed to get Abigail Folger down on the ground and she's just stabbing her repeatedly. And she said, she remembers Abigail just saying, why are you still stabbing me? I'm already dead. I'm already dead. Oh, God. Like, she, it was just so much overkill. Um, now, as that's happening, Watson stabbed her boyfriend 50 times on the lawn when he tried to get away in, the like, the backyard area. Susan Atkins is the one who stabbed Sharon Tate to death, stating later that she felt nothing for her, even when she begged for her life and for the life of her baby. Apparently, she was like, come back and kill me later. Like, you can come back and kill me. Just let me have my baby in a couple weeks. She's, like, nine months pregnant. Oh, She's like, let, like, let me do this first. Um, but they were, she said, we're under strict instructions. Kill everyone in this house. I have to kill you. So she just kills her. Oh my God. Susan Atkins puts a towel and blood and writes on the wall pig. Um, and which comes back in a second. So then getting back to the ranch, Charlie asks how everything went. And Patricia just says, Charlie, they were so young. Um, so it's all over the news just by the next day, obviously who could do something like this. Investigators say that, Um, the entire scene was completely covered in blood. It was like a hot mess. Police immediately want to talk to the person who found the body. She's like the caretaker of the grounds. He's released for lack of evidence and everyone is struck by how weird the crime is. They wonder if it has something to do with like sadism and like trying to replicate Rosemary's baby that had just come out because Sharon's pregnant. Like if this was weird, something like that. But this is also the time of the race wars where people like, a lot of the like civil unrest that was happening, they were all calling the cops pigs. So they were like, is this like people oh. coming at the rich and famous and the powerful? Like oh. what's the motive? No, no. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> that was on, what was that? August 8th, I think August 10th, something else happens. Rosemary and Lino, I think it's Lino, LaBianca are found dead. Um, Apparently, the Manson family had attended parties next door. They had never actually met this family. So nobody knows exactly what this represented for Manson. It just was like a random opportunity. Um, apparently, Rosemary LaBianca had cried at the headlines 15 to 20 minutes before her own death. She was out at like a grocery store with a friend and she had seen <clears throat> the headlines about Sharon Tate. And she was reading it with a friend and she was like tearing up and she was saying like, how are people that evil? Oh, my God. And then 15 to 20 minutes later, went home and met those people. 
Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So Manson is the one that scopes out the scene first. Um, he comes back from inside the house, gets texts, gets a few women. Um, he picks Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel. They, um, the girls take Mrs. LaBianca into the bedroom. Mr. LaBianca is being killed in the other room by Tex and he's obviously screaming. And so Mrs. LaBianca is like calling out for him. Tex comes in when he's done and starts stabbing Mrs. LaBianca. Um, he hands the knife to Leslie and says, Manson said that we all had to get our hands dirty. Go do something. So she hadn't killed anyone at this point. She's like standing there, like not knowing what to do. And so she goes and stabs Mrs. LaBianca 16 times. (gasps) Afterwards, she dips a towel of blood and writes death to pigs and Helter Skelter in the wall. Um, And Helter Skelter is um, basically like their whole thing is like a race war is going to happen. And the only white people that were going to survive were going to be the Mansons because they're like the chosen people. And so she wrote Helter Skelter. And that's a Beatles song that is not. It was just one of his twisted things. Um, They after that, they take chocolate milk and watermelon from the fridge, have a little snack and head back to the ranch. They had a snack. They had a snack. After they killed people. Mm-hmm. They just, it takes a lot out of you. Ugh. Yep. Alarming. That's disgusting. And now the whole city is in panic because they're thinking clearly the motive isn't just oh. famous people because the LaBiancas are just local grocers. Oh. Yeah. Like, what the hell? So all they have is speculation. They found weed and narcotics at the Tate scene. So they tried to take a drug route. And LaBianca had gambling debts. So maybe it was related to that. But at the time, the two crimes aren't even connected. Right. Which is weird. So they like, which they should have been, but two different groups are working on investigations. So it makes like, everyone was like, clearly these are connected. And the police were like, no, we're going to deal with them as two different crimes. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, now, here's the other thing about the botched investigation. A TV crew finds discarded clothing of the killers in the hills surrounding the Tate residence. It wasn't even the police that found it. It was a TV crew. Oh, my God. Police aren't even... Oh, police aren't even the ones who found it. The gun is found on the same road of um, the Cielo Road. Cielo Drive? Whatever. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> um, a young kid is the one who found it, and he had the sense not to touch the gun. And the police officer is an idiot who picks it up with his bare hands, and even the kid says, yeah, they put their hands all over it. Why? This nine-year-old kid is like, yeah, they are stupid. Why did they put their hands all over it? <laughs> um, now, pure luck. Manson family is on the radar already, but not for the reason that you would think. Uh, suspected car theft is why the police are looking at the Manson family. And they're known as, like, this weird hippie cult, but, like, harmless because they're, like, the free love movement. Right. Like, they're probably not killing anybody. But. Um, they can't figure out why, whenever they go to do a police raid on that, um, on the, what do you call it? Police raid on the abandoned branch that they live on. Mm-hmm. Why Manson seems to be really relieved whenever they tell them that they're there to investigate a car theft. Um, the next day in the paper, there's a story about the raid next to a story about the murders, not even realizing that they're the same group of people. What? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, but there's another bungle on the police's part. They get the date wrong on the search warrant for the cars. So they have to throw the entire thing out as inadmissible and they release Manson. Yeah, Why? Exactly. Because everything's a mess. Now... His goal now is to get them as far away from L.A. as possible, so he gets them out to Death Valley, which is not that far, but whatever. His vision had been Halter Skelter, like how I said, Um, and he tells them while he's out there, while they're harping more and more on this vision, that he, um, if he's ever caught, that he's just going to pretend that he's crazy. (laughs) 
And then that way he'll be able to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So James Purcell is a police officer and he notices a bunch of hippies who've created a little commune outside of Death Valley. And they have all these like illegal stolen cars out there. So they end up taking 26 people in jail for car theft. Susan Atkins is the one that gets transferred to L.A. and who decides that she wants to impress some of the other inmates. So she starts talking about how stupid the police were, how they were on the wrong track. Mm-hmm. And so she like makes friends with this this girl who is in her cell and she says like don't you know that like about those murders that happened and she was like yeah of course i heard of them and she was like you know who did them and she was like no she was like you're looking at her oh my god so um the jailhouse informant obviously informs the police so that she has her sentence which honestly not gonna lie i gotta do what you gotta do so This is where all the pieces start to come together. So on trial for capital murder shortly after this, Susan Adkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van Houten, Charlie, and Tex. Mm -hmm. Um, The trial starts in 1970. Manson came in a different character every single day. So they said some days he came in to be demonic. Sometimes he was really happy and charming and, like, really trying to, like, schmooze everybody. And then sometimes he's super talkative. But then sometimes he's totally catatonic. What? Like, he's just a zombie person. Some days the women come in singing or wearing colorful dresses or creating a spectacle of themselves in some way. There's, like, videos of them coming in singing and holding hands and all of these videos. Like, it was it was yeah. a shit show. Like, it was yeah. the first shit show crime. Um, Patricia Krenwinkle says now that everything was orchestrated, Vance would tell them ahead of time what they were going to do. And they would go do it. And I don't know what they never clarified how exactly he did that. Like if they were in rooms together, which doesn't, I don't think they would be, or if he was calling them yeah, in weird. prison. Like, I don't know what, how that was going. He would say that one day he said, like, you're going to shave your heads. All of you are going to shave your heads. And so there's all these pictures of them at the trial where like the girls outside who weren't arrested for anything, who didn't actually kill anyone. Cause there's all these other people that didn't kill anyone that were mm-hmm. just a part of the family. They all shave their heads. They're all sitting in circles singing outside the courthouse. And then there's the girls inside who also had their head shaved. You're going to get up and scream in the middle of the, of the court. And then they would get, they would get taken out. Um, You're all going to get thrown out of court today. Like he would tell them what to do. And they were like, perfect. We'll do it. Wow. The rest of the followers are camped outside. They sleep there half the time. They're speaking to the cameras about revolution and about loyalty and about how, like, Manson is exactly who he says he is. And at one point, Manson reaches across the table in the courtroom with a pencil and says to the judge, someone needs to cut off your head, old man. Why? (laughs) Um, But they don't really know exactly what to do with Manson or what to charge him with because technically he didn't kill anyone. Mm. (laughs) Like, he orchestrated it, but he didn't do it. Yeah, I forgot that. Um, So... Now, Linda Savian is used as an eyewitness by the prosecution, so she gets immunity for being the driver if she can tell them everything about what happened. And she's like, perfect, awesome, mm-hmm. let me tell you everything. So she says that um, Abigail Folger's boyfriend, whose name I don't even know very long, mm-hmm. um, comes running towards her with the car – to the running towards the car bleeding – um, that's whenever Tex is running after him. Mm-hmm. And she said to herself, oh, God, please just make this stop. Manson glares at her the entire time that she's up testifying. Oh. And Charlie had told the women that they were to tell the jury that he had nothing to do with any of it and that all of the defense attorneys for the women – oh, I'm sorry. And all the defense attorneys for the women are realizing that he had, had told them that. Like, that all of these girls are still very brainwashed, which they're all like, we don't, we've never had a client that, like, is self-sabotaging for the sake of someone else. Like right. This. So they're, they don't know what to do. 
Now, here's something crazy that people don't really talk about. Ronald Hughes is Leslie Van Houten's attorney. He presents in court that Leslie is a woman who's brainwashed, which is true, who is doing what she's being told and that she is, that Manson is telling her actively to lie about these things. Um, Manson stands up in the courtroom and says, attorney, I don't want to ever see you in this courtroom again. Okay. <laughs> That's what I said. But then they don't ever see him in that courtroom again. His body is found six months later so badly decomposed that they can't determine the cause of death. What? Apparently he was found under a huge rock that had either fallen or been pushed on him. <clears throat> a former member of the Manson family calls the prosecutor's office years later and says that it was a hit from the Manson family, but no one is ever charged in connection. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? No one ever talks about that. No, yeah. I mean, I've never heard any of this, but it, yeah. Yes. Oh, and there's another murder that is um slid in there that I just may have forgotten. There's another human. Late July 1969, Gary Henman. Manson was involved in this one because he sliced off his ear. Oh. Hacha. Um, another Manson member, um, a man is the one who stabbed him to death. I don't know why I don't have a scene. Susan Atkins writes on the wall, political piggy. Um, but he's just an anonymous hippie, so it's not really looked into too much. Anyways, let's back up, Sean. Um, anyways, the jury's out for nine days after this whole thing happens. Um, all five of them are found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy. They are all sentenced to death. But the death penalty has been overturned in California, so they all have life in prison. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um, which, and I, whenever I was watching Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkle, they just seemed so normal. Which is weird. I don't know. And they were saying, like, they've learned. They were like, it's just crazy that we made these horrible, horrible life decisions when we were 19. And we're here forever. Like, this ate up everything. And, like, it's deserved. They, like, know that they, uh, they're like, no, we're not trying to get out. Like, we're going to make the best of what we have now. But, like, you were brainwashed when you were 19. And now you're spending the rest of your life. Like, yeah. think of, like, you at 19. Like, right now you would be in prison. Yeah forever that's crazy okay did you know there's a difference between a life sentence and being sentenced to life uh-huh sorry i didn't find <laughs> oh, gosh Alexa, no one was talking to you a lot of people don't know that that's yeah. why when they hear like you have three life sentences yeah yeah, yeah. they don't they just think it's, it's for like, dramatic oh, right, right, effect right, right. yeah but it's like 15 years plus 15 years plus, plus 15 years, years. and so then to life is years. until you're dead Mm -hmm. Which, why do they do that? It's just the terminology sounds weird. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a... Oh, I used to know off the top of my head. Um, there's a reason that that's different. Because life in, uh, a life sentence... It, wait. <laughs> what a life sentence is... Nope, I don't remember. Okay. I'm going to find out. Because I remember that there... I used to know that information, but now I know. Okay. I'm getting old. Um, I'm kidding. Okay, so then in the interviews that, again, are so crazy, when asked, um, you were convincing them that you were Jesus Christ. How did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is Diane Sawyer. He said, I was just being myself. All men is Jesus Christ. All men is Jesus Christ. <laughs> and she said, really? He said, yeah. He just, Literally, his interviews are hilarious. He just fully believes that. And that's the thing. People are like, is he crazy or is he pretending to be crazy? Yeah. No one knows. Um. Manson is the one who, oh, by the way, Manson is the one who bound and gagged the lobby office, too, by the way. Uh, so he um, was involved. Yes, but he wasn't the one who killed them. Right. He was involved, but he didn't kill them. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know why I didn't so, really have an ending. Yeah. So yeah, they Manson ended up dying in I think 2010. I'm pretty sure, or mm-hmm. 2013 or something. Um, he dies in prison, very old and very demented. And he would like he had an upside down cross carved into his eyebrows by the time what? he was like by the time he died. Um, but yeah, he was still either believing or pretending to believe everything that he preached. And there's, I think there's like one other person that believes all of his crazy, one of them being squeaky. And then the other one, I don't know who squeaky. the other one is. Squeaky. But everybody else has like come to obviously realize that it's BS. Apparently Tex um, Watson is like a born again Christian now. And I think Patricia Kenwinkle's not, but she's like really turned her life around and just like doing all these programs and stuff. Leslie, I'm pretty sure it's Leslie Van Houten that has like brain cancer. She might have died actually. She had mm-hmm. brain cancer and they were considering paroling her for like her last couple of months alive, but I don't think they ever actually did. Um, I'm going to see if she died or not because I don't know. But yeah, what do you think? Awful, 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 terrible, scary. Leslie Van Houten um, is, uh, I think she's she's still kicking it. See, look how, like, like she's beautiful. I think she's still kicking it. Death. Yeah, she. Oh, yeah. criminal pe- penalty. Is I thought I was going to say something about her. No, I think she's still alive because it doesn't say death. Um, she's 71 right now. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Because she's literally did this whenever she was like 19 years old. And she's been in there since then. But how do you let a mass? No, you don't. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but still, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's crazy that someone can have that much influence and power. It just seems so nonsensical. I would love to just have an interview with Charles Manson, like a couple of interviews, like some sessions with Charles Manson to figure out if he's actually crazy or if he's faking it. I would not. Well, not. I never want to see the guy. <laughs> Wait, we're going to, after we're done with this, we're going to watch some interviews with him because you're going to die. They're hilarious. Okay. And also terrifying. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. All right, everybody. Um, let us know if you want to meet Charles Manson. We'll set up a meet and greet. Average with only it. Yeah. <laughs> You've never done that. Bye. Bye. Average and only it.